Welcome, everyone. We're back again. We're sticking to our guns, and we're gonna. We're actually exceeding what we're supposed to do. Yeah, this is a a a, a plebeian bonus because those of you, the one million of you who've already given us money, have already been listening to a great, a great, probably probably the best episode we ever did. <laughs> Yeah, that was a good one. That was uh, great. So you don't get to hear it unless you give us money. Well, we might let you hear it just to tease you of what you you could be getting because that yeah. will be the only little tease you get. Everything else that is done, uh, Patreon, except for filmmaker series, those yeah. will be. You, well, if you want to know what it is, you gotta you have to pay for it. You gotta listen. And uh, to those Patreon users especially the one who reached out. We are trying to learn as fast as we can how all of this works. Uh, so soon soon you won't have to listen to it in the uh, Patreon app itself. I will figure out how to give it to you via RSS without accidentally just posting it to everyone. So we're working on it. It's coming soon. We're not internet people in that no, way. We're learning. We say if, you, if you've been with us since the beginning... The very first episode was about how much we haven't ever listened to podcasts. So we're trying to learn how to do this still two years later. <laughs> yeah, as far as we ever really got is like Kaza. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, but unless, we're, wanna, um, unless we're talking about Car Garga or Cinema Garden, we don't really know how to internet anymore. So. Yeah, that's that's really <laughs> it. Unless we're stealing movies, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Parody. We don't steal movies. We borrow them. Borrow them. Little known fact, uh, Car Garga is actually just like hot movies. You actually pay for minutes. You do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a good thing we do do that because or else we wouldn't be able to do more than half the things we do on this goofy show so and we wouldn't be able to see movies to then figure out who owns the rights to show them to you in theaters in great versions so you don't have to watch the same vhs rips because that's how much we love you yeah and uh and we promise well we're never going to disappoint you (laughs) never not like your shitty father or your shitty ex we won't disappoint you (laughs) maybe like a shitty friend but nothing worse than that yeah but in that cool way (laughs) (laughs) but today we're sticking to it and we're we're exceeding ourselves and we're gonna give you because we didn't that's the other thing we got to work on planning these out now that we're We're getting uh, there though we've signed a deal in blood to do these and indefinitely so we'll get better with the highs and lows episodes but hey extra one this week and we are talking about what is going to kick off our latest season and that is Chantel Ackerman's Golden 80s with Amy Heckerlein's um. Lewis. And Amy Heckerlein's Luther. <laughs> nope. We talked about it in the past, but no more. More on that later. We'll get to Loser. Yeah, this is, we're, we're back. We're very excited. This is going to be a fun show. Uh, we're expecting big crowds. So. If you want to know our thoughts that we can't say on stage because we are now professionals who keep our intros under five minutes. Good little piggies. Yes, we're good little fat horny piggies. And now (laughs) this is our intro. So if you will 
If you know, you can listen here. We'll tell you at the show. But yeah. here's our we ramble here. We keep it tight in person. Very tight. We're. <laughs> I need to have a little sign up that says non Patreon shows <laughs> and public shows. Uh, okay. Well, uh, Will, you want to. Uh... Okay. Well, so tomorrow, the first movie that we'll play will be Clueless, but we're going to talk about them in reverse order. So. Yeah. That's how I watched them this morning too. So it's good. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you uh why don't you break us down? because uh, listen, Will's one of the biggest Chantel Ackerman super fans out there. He loves problematic French women directors. I do, I do indeed. Uh, <laughs> I love them too, but I Chantel's Chantel's a special, special case, and this is a special movie. But uh True. let's hear it from a special mind. <laughs> prefer it to be called beautiful but thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It> <laughs> um, i'll be i'll even even for this rambling show we do i i really tried to pare this down this morning because also inevitably at some point we'll talk about some of our other movies so i'll save this seven hour career thing that i could do here and i mean instead, we could talk we're just going to talk about movies. yeah we're just going to talk about what led to this movie and the first thing we'll say that i will say is that um, most of the the way people talk about this one still most of the time, especially now that it's actually accessible, which is great, only happened really during pandemic where it became widely available. Um, so a lot more people have seen it. And the first thing out of most people's mouth is, is that it's a, 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 a huge departure for Ackerman in her career, which I don't it's, think is the case at all. So that's so where we're going to start. It's so silly. silly thing. It's like he's spent- never. She didn't have a departure movie. Um, never. That's part of why she's so great and why she can be frustrating for people is because she never could not make movies about the same things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like images of like you know parking garages at dusk. Like yeah, it's inside of it instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so yeah so anyway we're starting there um and kind of what what was leading up to this are two of what are Chantal's most celebrated movies I would say um so we had the meetings of Anna which be hard pressed to convince me that's not a stone cold masterpiece outside of her filmography or otherwise um but we have the meetings of Anna and then we have uh Tute une nuit <laughs> um, yes which is one of the one of the greatest uh, one night movies. I think we've talked about how we what we ideas for that. Yeah, that'll come. That'll probably be when when Akron returns to highs and lows. It'll be with that. But okay, so meetings of Anna Tute Unenubi. Ackerman is definitely like running running hot. People love it. They want her in every film festival. Still sticking to her guns. Doing one of my favorite things about her, where if anyone from day one when she made J2LL and people were like, come to our gay film festival, come to our women's only film festival. She was like, fuck you. I'm a filmmaker first, the end. So she never would do that. She hated identity politics. Um, Well, well, she hated that kind of identity politics. (laughs) Like one sort of identity politics. (laughs) That'll be for later. I'll I'll give you, I'm going to give you a little carrot that you can uh, do with, do with what you will. You'll like, I've said enough on that. I've got a carrot planned if you want it though. If you're, we'll talk about one controversy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so she's, you know, 
killing it. Everyone's really stoked. And then after Tute Unanui, she goes on this kind of really strange string of mostly short films, um, part of a couple omnibus movies. Um, Seven Women, Seven Sins is in there. Uh, Family Business, The Man with the Suitcase, which is fucking incredible. Um, I guess that that one's almost an hour, so I guess that counts as a feature. But anyway, she's on this uh, string of really great stuff, but largely part of uh, films with other filmmakers. Um, and then she had already been working on this idea. She always wanted to make a big MGM musical, basically, because she loved them. Um, but could not get even talking to any of the people who gave her money in the past about it. Everyone was like, LOL, no. <laughs> Why would that's not what we want from you? We want hallways and women walking. And <laughs> I, made, I made her favorite frenemy, uh, who we'll get to, Mr. Jean Luc Godard, couldn't even get that pulled off. Yep. He wanted to do that. And we got stuck with a woman as a woman, which fine. I mean, I, I love that movie, but like. Yep. Yep. He also had grand ideas to take his character to the old Hollywood studios. And so, you know, like, you know, I'm just pigging off that, like French people love those fucking MGM Technicolor musicals. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. everyone should, but they, they especially, they were a real exotic thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. And so she, in 1983, while she was making amidst making a bunch of these shorts that were part of omnibus movies um she couldn't get any money basically nothing so she's like okay what if i i'll try to make something that uh they can feel comfortable with being called experimental that i'm going to use to get investors that was called the 80s and that came out in 1983 and that movie um it's also really amazing. I would, if you haven't seen it, definitely don't watch it before Golden Eighties. Because, yeah. um, well, I mean, you know, do whatever you want, but it'll it'll really engage you after you've seen Golden Eighties. It's basically I'm, the first half is really odd auditions um, that she's doing for Golden Eighties with people, um, and you get to hear how insane in particular she was because the opening of it is just a black screen over someone trying to deliver a line. And Ackerman coming back after every single one saying, nope, too sincere. Nope, too dour. <laughs> and they're so barely different, but it's great. And then the second half is basically in like what looks like a, a horribly lit um, parking garage. But I assume it is the set before they built it for Golden 80s um, of the dance, some of the dance numbers that would come to life in Golden 80s. But she made this as an investment project and it worked. She showed the 80s to people and it worked to get enough money, still, you know, a fraction of what she wanted. But and truly one of her best things. I personally, oh, yeah. it, I'm kind of chuffed we can't show that as well. Maybe well, it's, be, in the, it's in the pre-show. I was going to say, I know there'll be some there'll be some little stuff in there, but we yeah. it, it's very hard to find, too. So yeah. uh, maybe if it's you're a Patreon, just... Patreon subscriber, we'll. Yeah, we'll pop that VHS rip your way because that's still all there is. Oh, but it's great. It's just, it's, uh, I, I think that's probably top five for me. I yeah. don't know. I, I just I love agree. that. It's, it's more than just a stepping stone. Yes. Oh, for sure. And I mean, and it's true. Part of why she's so amazing is that her investor, like literally her investor movie is one of the strongest experimental films of the eighties, you know, I think. Oh, absolutely. 
and yeah, it was truly just to get money. But because she was such a sicko, uh, she couldn't just make, you know, a simple thing to try to get money. So she made a great movie. But um, yeah, she makes those to... in between when she's just in bed being like, it's hard to get up. <laughs> Eating uh, sugar. <laughs> in, order, in order to make a movie, you must get out of bed fast. <laughs> so French. <laughs> I love your French. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she makes that. And it works to get enough money, at least to make this. Everything's pared down immediately. She could not do any big numbers. Um, she couldn't do even the music that she wanted. But she then decided, she was like, all right, fuck it. I'll just write the songs. Um, so she writes all the songs for this entire movie, um, along with, um, what's his name? Uh, Mark, Mark Hero. I don't know how to say French names ever. Yeah. Um, but she writes all of them. And then, yeah, then we get going. Um, and this movie, I think, like I said at the beginning, it really annoys me when people say it's a big departure for Ackerman because it's not. I think this is very much an experimental film also. It's just one whose interest this time is doing it through something that she loved, which was big, bold musicals. Um yeah, and, and I think I think if you think of it, like even just framing who helped make this movie, along with her, you know, because we yeah. have like one of the biggest is Leora Barish, who wrote Desperately Seeking Susan, which is arguably a remake of Celine and Julie Go Boating already. Absolutely. So that's where we're a movie that was too obvious there. that we couldn't put it in highs and lows. Yeah, we talked about it, and it was like this is too obvious. Yeah, that's for the other series. Maybe we'll have someday. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that works for that one. But um, so, yeah, it's coming from there. And then we have uh, Pascal Bonitzer as well and Henry Bean. Um, it's kind of a crazy, kind of a crazy crew. Jean Gruel also most famous for Jules and Jim. Yep. Um, but it's one of those rare instances. Delphine's where, back. Yep. Yep. Big. I mean, which is like at one point even has her the, redoes her hair a little like her John Dillman mm -hmm. character. She yep. speaks a lot about how her how she kind of has a new identity and she has this past. I mean, it's she talks about being in concentration camps. Yeah, her past is crazy. She's a Polish concentration camp survivor. Exactly, movie, but with the same name that she had in John Dillman. By no accident. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. Uh, for you sight and sound heads out there. That's uh latch onto that. Plus it's also not. So this is like a nice clean 90 minutes. So yeah, you don't have to watch them like make orange Julius's <laughs> for 30 minutes. It's no, they pour the orange juice real quick and then the kids don't. Want <laughs> yeah. They have a, those little <laughs> bastard children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think the big thing to focus on with this movie for me and what I was thinking about a lot when I rewatched it this morning, um, as far as the experimental aspects, like one, first of all, it's a chamber play. Um, yeah. Yes, there are different rooms, but it's all hellishly trapped in one room, which is one tiny chunk of them all. <laughs> it's, it's purgatorial for a reason. And the last several minutes tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's also like a. I think I I hadn't thought about this as much. It's because when we were talking about uh, both sides of the blade, which I did finally watch. Um, 
we were talking about both sides of the blade and talking about how it was just so painfully French in the way that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone fucking cheats. Everyone fucking, you know, whatever French shit. I forgot how mean this movie is about French movies, because this is so much her taking to task that whole thing because the way everyone, Oh, the way everyone like shrugs off and brushes off everyone, just fucking everyone and everyone cheating on everyone all the time because they're French. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, no, she, she had a lot of enemies in the French film scene, Miss Ackerman. And uh, I think this one didn't help. (laughs) Really? I wonder. Yeah. I mean, it could have been that it could have been the, the, uh, the political messaging that she not so subtly slips in. <laughs> it's so good. Um, which is funny. And I know that this has, it's more prophetic than anything, but one of the movies advertised outside of that mysteriously, like you never hear from the ticket taker, mm-hmm. which I find very interesting, but they're always framed in the background reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, the poster is uh, something called green ice. Which Have you is, ever seen that movie? I've never seen green ice. I know about it with Ryan O'Neill, but it has, I'm sure it's terrible, and I'm sure the she's worst movie. It looks awful, and it's but also it's from 1981, awful. so she like kept that poster for some reason, which was that movie came out two years before she even put out the 80s, let alone golden 80s. Hmm. I wonder if. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, what there was a reason because it's there because the other poster is like gun crazy and i'm pretty sure Chantal loves joseph h lewis's gun crazy and there's a third the other poster is the adam west and burt ward batman yes i noticed <laughs> that which which i think my theory on that one is that she was like this is what happens when you don't give people enough money who have a big vision <laughs> Because think about how much of a chamber play that movie is because they didn't have money, right? Like, they are mostly just in the fucking lair talking shit with Dutch angles, except for, like, the bad shark repellent stuff. (laughs) Like, a lot of that movie takes place in the, like, villain's lair. Yeah, it doesn't... like this mall. It doesn't really... Yeah, it doesn't really rise above its, like, uh, its TV budget levels. Yeah, yep. But with Green Ice, though... I mean, obviously, she's probably talking about, like, how much money is given to bullshit. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, um, it's called Operation Green Ice, which in the only several years later was a gigantic uh, financial scandal uh, about a bunch of bank. All right. I, I, we can't go too deep into that. It's just, like, <laughs> it's very interesting with what the movie's talking about with, like, the raising of the rent prices and how... The, the the main dude the young dude's amazing <laughs> final lines in the movie which i don't want to spoil but yep. <laughs> this need for expansion and more it's it's just eerie that that movie would become later the name given to this not very well talked about but i think it was 1992 in italy i can't remember the exact things but it, it revealed like tight connections between Colombian cartels and uh, some major banks. Yeah. So that was kind of like a big deal. Again, it just, I can't, I couldn't help but like latch onto the date this time. Cause she, that was clearly like, why the fuck that movie? It's great. It's great. And it's again, why like this movie really, it, it, it astonishes astonishes me that people can watch this and see it as a flighty, just like fun 
cute outlier musical thing in her filmography because every second is like that. I mean, the way we open the focus on shoes and feet and then the, the, the way the audio of feet clacking play into this movie when there are no such feet around. Yeah. <laughs> the soundtrack alone is like a, you know, a masterclass and like an experimental film soundtrack. <laughs> Absolutely. And yep. I think what makes the movie so palatable and why we're not repeating the same mistakes as uh, maybe some of our previous screenings is that this movie, you know, it, it, you can look at it as like this uh, experimental thing that has this challenging undercurrent or surface, but it's really, um, it's a matter of like, the film feels like, I think the biggest attraction you could say is that there's a theatricalness to it and this kind of chamber play thing you've talked about, which I think is silly because there's so much like cinema happening in this, like the camera moves, the way people are positioned. This is not film theater, but what it does instead is it has this, like, it's like close friends putting on a play so much so that like what becomes really ecstatic about it is this almost documentary like effect of watching some of these actors like crack smiles while they're doing these ridiculous songs, because <laughs> It just feels like they're all having a these artists having a great time performing together and putting on this kind of almost like DIY performance. Like, uh, I, I think that's what to me is so infectious about it is how much performers are clearly just having a blast making this movie. And that that's going to translate to an audience, even though this movie is not as like fizzy and poppy you know as clueless but sure. you know i think it maybe it would have been better to open with it but i think it's better to close with it because i think it'll i think yeah yeah no i've got i've gone back and forth i'm at peace with it but <laughs> but i also have two and just to highlight to people like what you were saying yes everyone's having a great time but just don't forget the fact that by the time we see this movie which is 1986 they started shooting the audition tapes that would become the 80s which came out in 1983 in 1981 so these people have been brutally like dealing with ackerman's obsessive style of rehearsal for years like over five years to get ready for this and yet it still comes across as that giddy and those friends hanging out and it also made me think of <laughs> i'm going it's I'm, I'm going too too deep in hard art house world but what's that what's the um straub who lay short that fast benders in early on oh, like that uh, it's like it's like 15 minutes the, the bridegroom and the pimp yes that one yeah. it made me think of that too where it's like it feels like a bunch of friends gathering together to do something and just see if anything comes of it which is amazing that that vibe is here because Ackerman can't do that. She's she never did that. She never just like quickly made a movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely, but it and feels I feels like that. Yeah, I mean, it kind of has the feel of some of those like Jackie Renal films that came out uh, around that time. Like, there's there's a there's a humor to Ackerman that maybe you don't necessarily see in a like. Like, you're not going to see that kind of uh, humor come out of Marguerite Dura, and you're not going to see it come out of Denis necessarily. And you're not going to see the same kind of humor with Breyat. Like, 
the, the, Jackie Reynal and, and Chantal Ackerman uh, are, are pretty funny. And I, 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 I they both like, I think that's a big part of why this happened in the eighties with her is I do think as much as he would have hated it and she would have hated me saying this, I do think one of the similarities between Goddard and Ackerman is that both of them got really itchy when they were celebrated too much. And I think probably hearing person after person, you know, talk about her brilliance and like the very serious filmmaking that she was known for and all of that. And which all those films also do have levity too. People just didn't fucking see it. But I imagine that was a big part of it where she was like, no, this is boring. And if everyone's celebrating me and accepting me, I've got to, I've got to shake it up. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh my God. And I'm sure just like every theoretical, you know, quandary thrown at her just probably pissed her off. Well, everyone, everyone, you know, calling her the like the 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 new voice in feminist filmmaking and all of that. She got so pissed and hated it. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, who wouldn't? What a what a limiting way to look at like yeah. an, an artist. Like fuck. I mean, we still do shit like that. Like oh, absolutely. I mean, it's words. Where, like, my, it, it made me think of my <laughs> one of my favorite moments when Andrea Arnold came uh, to the theater. It was a screening of Fish Tank, of course. Um, I forget who was doing the Q&A at the time. doesn't matter. But someone she was friends with, and they said, as soon as... And Andre Arnold's an an intense person. Um, It was great. Got to chain smoke cigarettes and, like, talk. She was shooting at the time, um, American Honey. And she was like, I'm going to kill myself if I'm ever in a van with teenagers again. This was a terrible idea. But I I didn't know what the movie was yet, but I was like, okay, cool. But so we sit, they sit down for the Q&A and the person doing the Q&A immediately goes, how does it feel to have invented the female gaze? And she turned she turned to them and said, fuck you. I'm leaving if that's what we're doing. And it made me that made me think of Ackerman. <laughs> well, it may, it's funny. We were talking about I brought up Jack Renal. It makes me think of that. Uh, that uh, that scene in um, maybe that's why I'm also thinking it because it sounds like an Ackerman movie. Uh uh, ho- uh, is it just Hotel New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like um, the scene where she's like giving that Q and A to all those critics, and this guy gives this like really long winded thing, and she's like, "Now, were you actually watching the movie when you were thinking of that question?" <laughs> and that just is like that's exactly how these motherfuckers felt on that stage. Like, yeah, they write their shit before they before they watch anything they don't let anything actually you know affect them or or change how they're gonna (laughs) speak to these people yeah it's so insane (laughs) yeah yeah i mean she yeah i mean my favorite is that that uh facebook message that someone says like wow your movie really inspired me and she's like great give me money for that and then she's like ha 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 and she's like yeah i'm not kidding yeah give me money for that i'm depressed mom's dead i'm i'm soon gonna kill myself yeah Give me money. Yeah, no, it's oh, re- refreshing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a lot better than her popping off about Godard with Notre Musique, where her <laughs> and Andrew Saris just were smoking <laughs> the wrong shit that day and <laughs> charged Godard with, uh, you know, crimes against Israel, which, God, I wish. Yeah, and he probably did too. He was like, I mean, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I would love to have done that, but I I didn't, and I he's, I tried, he's like, wait, let me let me I'm gonna remake Grandeur and Decadence real quick. <laughs> I'll, I'll spin it like you guys said I did. Yeah, I can't remember what the quotes are in that movie, but I mean, it's like it's silly that that's what you would like. And I know I made the joke on Twitter, the only tweet we've ever like done really, where I was like, boy, I, it's a shame that we don't have Chantel and Kanye going at it at each other online right now good lord would that be entertaining two of the most like talented psychos <laughs> your opinions on this matter just like going at it yeah uh, because yeah Chantal was a uh uh she was a like full-on zionist when she was younger wasn't she but i think she like it's really really hard to tell she was like in a zionist communist party i'm pretty sure Yes, but it's even so all of it is really hard to tell. And I even I asked um, (laughs) in case it is true, beep this when we put it out the name. But when I did the retro in L.A. with a bunch of people, the person who made it possible was one of the programmers who actually was friends with her. Mm. And when we were working on all of this, um, I brought up that stuff. And Berenice basically was basically the response was like, there's a little bit of truth in it. There's less than you think, but it's worth thinking about. That's all she would like say to me about it. And I was like, okay, that's all right. That's fair. I mean, she, I mean, what are you going to do? Your most, a lot of your family gets wiped out in Auschwitz. Oh, I can't. Yeah. I, uh, especially when, especially like in your youth, you know, like, and that's fresh. That wasn't very long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, she's a complicated case, but yep. you can't get Which mad I at her. Because it's hard to, part of what I loved about her response when I asked that was I thought about that the next time I watched through everything. And it was even harder to pin down how she feels politically with that thought in mind yeah uh, like with most of the movies it's still it was still was way harder like that just made it more confusing in a good way though and that's why that's why i like her though you know oh yeah well she was popping off in 2004 i don't know maybe she had a issue with <laughs> personally with godard which would not shock me no, but i mean I, i'm sure i i, I only I, make I, fun I, of I that one instance like yeah, i i don't oh. the rest of it's clouded i i she's way more complicated than that yeah, but it's also it's a it's a you know reminder of what we <laughs> love to do, which you're allowed to make jokes about things and then also acknowledge that there there's more to it than that, and it's okay. And that you're correct, and you're right. and it's okay. And, and it's, okay. A, it's a good uh, it's a good <laughs> time to highlight one of my favorite moments about the movie The '80s. Um, oh, also real quick note, if anyone is looking it up online, it's easier now since they're more available, but part of what got so confusing between those two movies is when the eighties was released in the U S it got released as golden eighties. So then when golden eighties came out three years later, it got changed to window shopping A much better. The eighties was called golden eighties already I, here. I wish yeah. it had just stayed golden or, uh, the window shop. What a what are the that that's such a better title well, it, it also i mean it would give it gives you the best title drop ever because it's that great moment where the dad's complaining about he's like it's saturday why can't even be anyone even be window shopping 
<laughs> I mean, that's more to the point of the movie, but hey, you know, we can't. I mean, Golden Ladies is a little more cynical, which I imagine she liked. I'm sure she did. I'm sure she <laughs> did. Oh, we can't. We have to talk about. We cannot skate past John Barry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. John, John Barry, she, Barry, I have no idea how they would have come into contact with each other, but John Barry was a blacklisted Hollywood director because Edward Dimtrick got mad at him. <laughs> yeah, it's such a that story's fucking awesome. Dig into that. It's great. Um, and if you don't know, like John Barry's career goes all the way back, but recently one of the things he's finally getting love for is uh Claudine and Thieves, which are fucking great. But his movies in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s are also really good. Um, but yeah, he was blacklisted. And Ackerman casts him as the uh, U.S. soldier who happens to be coming through the shopping mall that has never more than 30 people in it at a time, uh, who had fallen in love with. And it seems like what what we with what we are given, it seems like what happened is he hid Delphine Seerig's character during the war. Yes. Or at least something like that, because all they talk about is the horrible state she was in and what good care he took of her. And then that he came home one night and she was gone. Yeah, it's it's just a it's a wild stunt that I love very much to cast this blacklisted, supposedly communist director whose career was ruined because of Hollywood in this movie about Hollywood musicals from (laughs) pre-war. It's just a... uh, the fucking layers. I was about to say the layers upon layers of this damn mall. There's so much. There's so much. And then my, my last, before we, if we want to move on, yeah, maybe the greatest, what we now call a troll that she does is casting the very famous pop singer, Leo in this movie, but not giving her a song. (laughs) It's fucking amazing. And if you come to the show though, I'll spoil one thing in the pre-show, you will get Leo singing because she does sing in audition tapes to help get money for this, which is also some of the investors got pissed because in the eighties, Leo has songs, but in golden eighties, she does not. <laughs> I, I'm sure <laughs> so that some of the budget that she, that Chantel wanted for the movie was probably to feature more of those. And I, my guess would be that she probably was like, Oh, you're not giving me the budget I want. Well, then the pop star in it won't have a song. She'll just, that? she'll just look sad. <laughs> it's so good. What is such a, uh, such a shit kicker move. It is. Such a, yeah. And that's why you gotta love her. She is a shit kicker. <laughs> To the nth degree. Um, So now let's talk about another kind of shit kicker. At least a can kicker. Oh, they'll kick the can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is someone who's been less academically discussed, which is... It's complicated because we love this filmmaker and then they... Listen, when you're a woman making films in Hollywood at this time, it's not easy. Yep. And there's a lot of bullshit you're going to have to do and a lot of shit you're going to have to put up with. So we can because they have a short career and only some of it is worth talking about. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get into a hero of ours. Nevertheless, a hero. Someone who deserves way more praise than they get. Absolutely. Amy. We love Amy. We've loved Amy. I mean, 
probably a more literal on the surface pairing with golden 80s would be fast times a ridgemont high in many ways yep uh deals with multiple characters and this more sprawling style that takes it opens in a shopping mall a lot of it takes place in this beautiful shopping mall and a lot of this does have to do with malls i mean i know we're both kind of we we, we have nostalgic pangs for the old days of shopping malls and sure big gardens in there and the the sun coast video and the waterfalls you know like that shit rocked it's the smell really i miss the smell it's so so unique yeah they're at once hellscapes of modern capitalism but also these like they were these kind of weird escapes where you didn't necessarily have to spend money to take in these places which um, does make them unique as far exactly. as as far as a capitalistic hellscape Yes, it, it's what people do when they, when you take that and you find something else within it. And we we wrote on the website that the mall featured in Clueless was eventually ripped down not long after, uh, very similar to kind of what's going on in Golden Eighties, and uh, it was replaced with a shitty Bloomingdale's, and basically it was kind of like the last great mall of L.A. And mostly for the world. I mean, there's a couple in the Midwest. They're not the same. They're uh, funny enough. Uh, I used to, when I lived in Kansas City, I used to buy weed from a guy who lived in the basement of a shopping mall that was abandoned. What? And you could get in uh, on the side of the building through this door and a window. And you could go in there and we would smoke weed and we'd walk around this mall. Someone was still paying the bills, but it was just nothing was there the 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 plants were still up the uh waterfalls and the fountains were still going and it was just empty that you are so lucky it would i not joking i still have dreams about that experience because i wish i could i wish i could inception into your dreams about that it was (laughs) the crown center shopping mall it was a Oh, it was beautiful. And it was one of those malls that hadn't changed since like something like fast times. Like it still had that, yeah. like that kind of dark Brown yep. uh, aesthetic to it. Um, and uh, Wait, yeah, this quick, guy... before you go on, I just have to celebrate Kansas city. Well, the first time I smoked weed, which was not really until college, mm-hmm. we were in Kansas city. Um, I forget to see a movie. I don't know what, but we'd driven to Kansas city from Southern Iowa where we were going to college. And uh i finally was like i want to smoke weed now because i tried to smoke weed at a bc boys concert and i burned my uh eyelashes off trying to duck behind someone because it was in a high school gym anyway the place my friend who was from kansas city he was like oh no no no, i know exactly where to go and we're just gonna hot box and listen to music he was like there are so many little suburban hellscape developments that got abandoned after they were finished in Kansas city. So we're just going to drive around one of those. And that's what we did. Yep. It was yep. great. Continue. We probably were driving around at the same time. We probably passed uh, <laughs> my Chevy blazer probably passed whatever car you were in. It was a Saturn. Oh, so nice. Yeah. See, I, I had this, uh, oh, I, yeah. Okay. I'm not going to go into a long thing about it, but I, my first car was a, she- a used Chevy blazer. And of course it was the blazer. So, <laughs> but uh, we would take that motherfucker up to the crown center. We'd go buy drugs from the guy in the basement of the mall, so who's sad. a rich kid. 
he just was a classic crust punk and had yeah. all this money and just said fuck his family and made experimental chemicals uh in the basement so is he still there <laughs> i don't know <laughs> let's take a field trip to kansas city and check He's probably uh, gone in there and started cleaning that place out. So they might have dragged him out screaming. But uh, imagine him just throwing like half cooked meth at them, like as they try to come through the door. And this kid was cooked. This kid <laughs> cooked, but yeah, so, uh, he, he hooked us up. But anyway, so malls are, they live in our dreams, literally. Um, also, I thought when you were bringing up Kansas City, I thought you were going to talk about the character being from Kansas City in Golden 80s. He's like, Kansas City. also great, yeah. That sounded Japanese. Can't, whatever, I'm not going to, it didn't sound like anything. Yeah, it's hard to say Kansas City with a French accent, isn't it? Kansas City. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's worse. Oh, boy. I'm not <laughs> doing this on purpose. Why is that so hard? Let's Don't see. Tu une nuit Kansas City? I okay, that's better. better. I think that's if you, you do it with a little something ahead of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes a little more sense. Okay, great. Um, Is man in Kansas City? No, it's so hard. It's really wow. hard. But anyway, thanks for Chantel putting a little Kansas City in there. Charlie Baca. <laughs> okay, and moving on. So Yeah, the Charlie Parker shout out. So good. Um, yeah, it's really good. Um I can't wait to take you there someday, baby. I'm going to. Oh, I can't wait. We're checking this basement. I'm not kidding. Okay, we're gone. So, yeah, so I was just saying, Fast Times, Ridgemont High. You could almost make the connection there. But, uh, yeah, that's really where uh, Amy gets her start. She does uh, Johnny Dangerously, which I didn't have the heart to revisit. Uh, It's got some fun in there still. That one won't hurt as bad as you think it will, and it certainly doesn't hurt as what she made the year right after (laughs) Well, I mean, it's hard to like, it's just hard to think of a movie being bad with Michael Keaton and Joe Piscopo and, you know, Griffin Dunn, like, you yeah. know, doing a, a 1930s gangster thing. But I, I don't know if I'm ready for it yet because of one revisit in her filmography that left me horrifically sad, as I'm sure it did her. You uh, won't be nearly as sad, I will say. Okay. The Good. two the two lowest points are what you're talking about, and then the 1985 one, I think. Well, we have to get to this low point because this is a low point that was a big staple of my uh, let's say burgeoning adulthood. Yeah, you're the, instead of the uh, halcyon years, it's the weedest years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it what well, yeah it. <laughs> We all saw that video first. That's how they made so much money. So we're talking. We're talking about the sequel to the hit film National Lampoon's Vacation. That's right. National Lampoon's European Vacation, which, you know, what? it's got Paul Bartell in it. Well, so you can't. hate. Well, there's it actually hurts worse because there are a couple moments that sing, but good god is it brutal between that it's like, it's like if you go to it's like when how i feel i mean most of my life but especially now because i'm an old grump if you go to a music festival to see one person who you know is going to slay but for whatever reason you just have to be there the whole day it feels exactly like that where you're like i want to die there are teenagers on drugs everywhere this music's terrible but you stick it out for the paul bartell 
But well, then the, you're like, only at the beginning. It? I mean, it's like once you get big in the book, it's like, well, there's no. There goes Paul Bartel, <laughs> Eric Idle popping up. Uh, who is funny? His scenes are good. Yeah, I like that movie more than you probably do, but I do agree it's rough. Um, I mean, I think she's. <sighs> Some of the most disappointing parts are the parts where I can almost see Amy the most with uh, the Audrey character. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a lot of the actress is just a far cry from the other actresses that would play Audrey. Yeah. So is well, Rusty. That, those jokes are, it's, you, you really have to nail it for them to work and not just feel bad. And it's not nailed. So they feel really bad. Yes. I yeah, what it does bring though is it looks pretty fucking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, especially the Europe stuff. Like I was rewatching it and didn't love it as much as when I was a kid. And I'll get to that in a second. But like, it looks pretty good. Like especially the Germany scenes. I was kind of like, wow, this is like, oh, it really, shot very well. Yeah, yeah, it shot very well. I mean, better than any of the other vacation movies. So. Yeah, I would argue. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, I agree. But uh, you know, it's it's rough. But um, you do get uh, you get a PG thirteen rating that allows you to see boobs. So I think my parents were very curious why I kept wanting to rent National Lampoon's European Vacation and watch it in the basement. But uh, I did, and uh, you get one brief booby scene and a like a fringe titty bar and then the next one is uh i don't know i must have hit a record for pausing a scene when rusty's in germany and that girl takes her top <laughs> off for him. i was just like i mean that changed my world yep i, I, that, I really... that one in beastmaster <laughs> Oh, wow. My grandma, my grandma asked why I loved Beastmaster so much, and and she didn't ask why, but I, I bet she was suspicious why I never wanted to start it until really late. And I would tell her that I like to fall to asleep to it, but it's because I knew she and my grandpa would fall asleep before the boobs came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another one. Yeah, that was PG even. I right, I was gonna say I remember a friend had that VHS and. <laughs> yeah. that uh, thank you, thank the, you, uh, and Amy Heckerling for <laughs> shaping our youths. And Paul Verhoeven and James Cameron because the preview for Basic Instinct that was on the VHS for Terminator 2 was what you could say my first porn. <laughs> hey, that, kids, that's how hard it was. The movie she made, she almost made right after Clueless was A Night at the Roxbury. And uh, apparently the producers tried to get, they sent Chris Kattan on like a honey pot mission to like seduce <laughs> uh, Amy Heckerling into doing that movie. And thankfully he didn't do that for, I, I mean, think, I'm pretty fucked, sure he's but, never seduced anyone. I mean, I hope they fucked. I just hope it wasn't for nefarious reasons, but <laughs> I hope they didn't. I bet I'd imagine that's not a, not a, uh, enjoyable experience hard to imagine chris Catan seducing anybody but uh i just see corky romano trying to fuck it's hard to like see outside of that yeah but 
that movie features a brief scene where you can pause it when they're at the pool and you can see titties. So <laughs> anyway, uh, after European vacation, she makes the look who's talking movies. Only the two though. Cause that's why she sucks. The first two are awesome. I will defend yeah, those. They're fun. I watched those a lot as a kid. I love talking baby movies though, to be fair. So I'm biased. Yeah. And I, I would have loved to have seen the, the, her make those dogs talk, but who did, who yeah, did I, w- I wish instead of going into like, you know, tragic television, like the fucking office and gossip girl, she would have been the one directing like Beverly Hills Chihuahua. That's what I want to see. Yeah, uh, well, that would be cool. <laughs> um, yes. Unfortunately she gets stuck in television. All of her hit movies seem to have TV spinoffs. She does a fast times television show in 1986 she does baby talk yeah. the look who's talking spinoff that ran sadly for a couple seasons 35 uh, episodes it says yeah i don't think she directed any of those but wrote them all and then <laughs> 35 episodes <laughs> i gotta do that this year that's a goal i know i'm surprised we haven't done it already but that'll be our first live that. stream is us we'll drop acid and do baby talk Nonstop. What I want to watch more of is the the Clueless TV show. So okay, so after Look Who's Talking, she does Clueless. But Clueless, she originally envisioned to be a television show. She didn't originally. It, it, it was a compromise to make it a movie. And uh, so she does Clueless, which I mean, just if I mean, there, you don't get much more of a modern classic of the nineties than that one. I mean, that, that's a flawless movie in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot that connects to golden eighties. It's got the Jewish identity, uh, which figures into both of them. And it's, uh, you know, there it's about shifting love and, uh, you know, young people and older people, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, it, it has a, a happier view <laughs> And the right, it really it really celebrates the uh younger older related thing <laughs> yeah it celebrates some other things that the french would be okay with as well yeah it is very it's very french it's very french in that way um but i i i do think that uh they they have a similar way of their plots unfolding and i i don't think it's that much of a stretch to see how the plot unfolds uh and how the characters changed and are mutated throughout as a you know when you compare it to golden 80s so hopefully that catches on but um i don't know there's not much you can really say about clueless except it's you know it you love it you got alicia you got stacy dash you've got the dear sweet missed Brittany murphy i accidentally quiver cried this morning re-watching clueless because i forgot the way and no one asked her to i'm sure but it's her sweet voice when she sings the way she sings rolling with the homies i had forgotten and it like <laughs> fucked me up <laughs> truly fucked me up because wow. it wanted that's not necessary at all there's no reason for it to be like a beautiful half second rendition <laughs> of rolling with the homies and that's Brittany though it's Brittany in a nutshell i, I think that one will for us and some of our friends that scene might hit given what's been going on but uh because i thought of that immediately Uh, 
and actually got when we were we had there's a little thing that's going to close out the pre-show that's very special to both of us and i rewatched it the other day and just with everything that's been going on i, I it definitely made me a little little teary as well what a what a bright shining star taken too early by some douchebag guy who weirdly like was fucking her mom or something yeah that's a mess i don't want to know i just uh let's say this this for those who do come to this screening this might be the most insane we are ever going to feel about even being a part of a series called highs and lows because we won't get into it but just the the last couple weeks of life couldn't have been more apt <laughs> for that series and for the, just this whole idea at large and why it's so important to celebrate all those things, you know? So truly come, come if you want to see us be like probably even more than we're planning accidentally, like brutally genuine. We've been through a lot. Will has been through more, but <laughs> Uh, hey we're all we're all in it we're all in this together i know but boy it will be interesting and that's okay i mean uh, that's life and this is, also, this is also a moment to say that uh to maybe some people who like to comment on the instagram stories we're very well aware that these are both highs <laughs> uh i don't uh you're probably not the person who's going to listen to this but if you know that person you can tell these people this uh it's a cheeky name. It doesn't mean literally what you think it means. It means a lot of different things. Sometimes sometimes it seems like it means exactly what you think it means. Like next month's the mask in the face of another. But also, hopefully you're going to be very surprised with that as well. Because that one seems like, right, as far as namesake, the most like home run. Oh my God, yeah, it's a dumb movie and a smart movie. But hopefully, you know you'll come and see that that's if we do, if we do this right, it's never that simple, you know? So, yeah. And also read the thing I slid over on the goddamn music box page. It'll, it's a little jokey, but it tell it gets the whole point across yep. of what the series is. So yep. do not point out to us anymore that we, we know we're never going to program lows. Life's too short to do some, shit like that maybe when we have a lot of money we'll we'll fuck around one day on one but probably never so we're we're, we're always gonna again if we're doing it right we're always showing two good movies sorry sorry if you if you think that they automatically clueless could be considered a low that's why we're doing this we'd like to dispel that entirely great, whatever and also this one also if you really want to fight with it for a lot of really lame art house people golden 80s is a low in the in the lineage of ackerman's career so if you want to do that do that it's fine yeah <laughs> so it'll be fine. talk about a real low uh let's fast forward to four years after clueless she oh wait let me my one okay one, one thing because i hadn't want i had not actually watched these together yet till this oh. morning and one thing that Immediately after watching both, well, I actually did all three. I did the eighties again too. But um, after I finished Clueless, because I did Golden Eighties first, my first reaction was actually like, I, I, you know, I'm not sure Clueless is actually that good. And wow. like that was my first. And then after a long walk in the rain and some life happening and all these things, 
I think it, I think what actually happened is I just never realized how, um, for lack of a less annoying way to say it, how European clueless is in its construction, because yeah. the way clueless lived in my brain was as very much a pop song in the way that it moves and the way and what it's doing and all of that. And that is not true at all. Um, it's actually, and you knew this, that's why you suggested this one, but the, the way these two are structured and the way they exist with their jokes and their non jokes and everything in between is crazy similar. Um, you know, and in, in, in golden eighties, it's with songs and silly songs. And at, at times like a little bit of an actual Greek chorus style, of dudes looking at the camera saying funny shit that everyone knows. And in this, it's a really overbearing and at times annoying, but very intentionally uh, over the top voiceover narration from Alicia Silverstone. Yep. And that was, I don't know. It never, it had never fully clicked. Like I understood why you wanted to do this and it made sense to me, like thematically and all of that. But as far as formally, it didn't click until today. So I think folks that come, it's really going to be, surprising um how much these actually are really really you could really timeline or like right if you wrote out how they work and their ups and downs it's really similar it's pretty crazy yeah if you were a a writer at maybe a publication in the city of chicago who has nothing to do in their days (laughs) you could maybe do that but uh no you should continue to write <laughs> flowery words about other people's children <laughs> whatever you want to do uh super, but you know super it, sick movie super sick that's yeah, what we should yeah. be just showing we should just show other people's children back to back i think we're just gonna move those screenings from the small house over to the big house and say ryan we got this we're actually only Fuck it. Those who heard it on the Patreon, we lied about our next filmmaker deep dive. It is Francois Ozone, but only everything post swimming pool. God damn. If you wanna <laughs> if you wanna never hear me again on this podcast, <laughs> and that will be the next one. Oh, can you uh, that would be a fun uh exercise just to see how long we could last. Well, those would be the most fun episodes, but unfortunately to do that, we're going to need to get paid. So, or yeah, I, yeah. I definitely well, need to like have even a fun. And I hate, and I hate myself. So yeah, I know you do. <laughs> I, yeah, I just value my time more these days. So, <laughs> so, but speaking, okay. So valuing my time or follow up to that at the Roxbury loser. <clears throat> wow. That movie never lived great in my memory but mm, that was bad that is a hard to watch movie for many reasons because it's so disappointing that this is the follow-up that we get to clueless um it's written by her uh it was unfortunately taken away from her and the studio fucked around with it i don't even know if that like her keeping it could have saved it because i know she says that studio wanted a pg-13 version and she wanted it to be hard r but the problem with it is not even the those elements it's um i mean i i I, on the one hand i see where she could have had a lot of fun with the definitely gay roommates uh that it's very clear 
but they're so fucking annoying and not funny. Like they remind me of how annoying the stoners dudes are in another hero of ours, the walk Mm -hmm. just obnoxious comic relief that you want to just throttle because nothing's funny. It's just, it's, it's, it's painful just to, and also having to think about uh, the dear, beautiful Mina Suvari being attracted to that Greg Kinnear character is like, yeah, only in that era could we have just, well, it's really like, I think the problem is there's only one universe that Jason Biggs is allowed and should be accepted to be a, a leading man. And it's only American Pie. And outside of that, the fact that him and Greg Kinnear are two leads here, that's enough. And the, well, I mean, shit, the holy, the unholy trinity of why this movie makes me want to die is <laughs> Biggs, fucking Kinnear. And the fact that it is that they weren't shy about it being a remake of, you know, arguably one of the greatest movies ever made, The Apartment. Um, and that also makes those characters more abrasive. That makes fucking Andy Dick more abrasive. That makes Dan Aykroyd more abrasive. It really like it because the I do I do think I want to read whatever her original script was because I feel like maybe it was even an NC-17. Because I feel like maybe she was like. I want to put myself in the headspace of what could be done if the apartment was made right now. Right. Cause that's a, you know, that was a raucous movie. It was a movie that did a lot of things uh, very loudly that not a lot of people were doing in 1960. And I want to imagine that she had something truly like subversive to do with that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just oh, no. Amy. If you're listening, if we ever get to chill, I don't take it personally that we hate loser, but no, we show us the wilder cut. If we would have, like to know where this could have gone. Yeah. If there's a, is there a work print hook us up? Cause clearly this movie was put into quick production to capitalize on the success of American pie. It's only a few years after. I'm sure it was only a few months after that this got in turnaround and oh, yeah. got Mina Suvari and Jason Biggs in it. And um, I don't know. The best part is he wants to go to an ever clear concert. I also, I want to know too, <laughs> I don't know that I've never, you know, I, I've never dug in truly to like that kind of trivia about Clueless, um, you know, because obviously the, the that was a, a weird time where Third Wave Scott was big. So the Boston's being in Clueless makes a lot of sense. I wish there wasn't a close up. It's uncomfortable every time, but that makes sense. Everclear makes sense. But I want to know if she got to choose those bands. This leads me into a very interesting thing that we can discuss to close out talking about her. Something I noticed. Uh, so yeah, the music's it's a sound it's a two thousand era soundtrack in Loser. Yeah, that ain't ain't kidding there. So seven years later, she makes her next movie, a movie that I mostly like. I find it charming mostly, and that is I Could Never Be Your Woman, a film that unfortunately got got uh, a, a bad deal i don't think it ever made its way to theaters it uh i think there's some studio bullshit going on and yeah. distribution bullshit and it ended up being released straight to video which is wild considering this movie stars michelle pfeiffer and <laughs> right before he becomes a gigantic star paul rudd mm-hmm. obviously she'd worked with him before 
mm-hmm. and got him to come do this. But he, I mean, it's funny. The movie is about his character becoming a huge comedic star yeah. right when he is about to become the literally our era's like Jimmy Stewart. Yep. And, and he's not even fucking his sister in this one. Guys. And he's like, not even the home run. He's doing, he's <laughs> somehow, and I hate to say this about one of my favorite performers and hometown hero. We once, I, I was uh, at a bar and I was washing my hands and I looked, I was really drunk and I looked over and washing his hands next to me was Paul Rudd. Did you touch his butt? I'm curious. I, I just him. kept looking at him. Like he could tell I was looking at him. He just kind of looked, he was like, how's it going? <laughs> and then he just like and he's like see you later and then just like that was it of course he did that sweet sweet man he was a very sweet guy he took pictures of my friends later that night he was so nice but somehow this movie makes his character kind of annoying yeah. uh, there are some parts that i am like would you still be chilling with this guy again very 2007 to be like the most charming thing about a character is that they break into spontaneous dance and annoy people yeah. It makes me think that uh, it's, this is just being petty, but I can't help it. Uh, it makes me think that after David Wayne exhausted the awesome ideas that he had, the few handful of awesome ideas that he had and somehow kept getting movies paid for. Yeah. It's like he watched this and he was like, I love it most when the challenge is to make Paul Rudd fucking annoying. So I'm going to do that in all my movies. Kind of, <laughs> kind of. I mean, uh, I think, what do, how do you feel about Wanderlust? I hate I, Wanderlust. I you hate, hate Wanderlust? Oh, I, I like Wanderlust. It. I hate it. Maybe it's time to revisit because I have been overly sensitive about David Wayne movies for most of my life. So I, I am, <sighs> I'm one of those people who's not a big fan of Wet Hot American Summer. And I saw it when it came out. I watched it during the hype. When's the last time you watched it? Recently, because I watched those new ones and I hated the new ones. Well, the new ones were terrible, but the movie's still excellent. I mean, I like it more now. I appreciate it more now, but it still was never it still was never even anything that just made me lose my mind. So I, I guess I've always liked well, it's still it. still just Stella, though, because Stella is perfect to me. That's yeah. why. Because like I, I was such a I was such a kids in the hall snob. Yeah. when stella came out that i was like why is anyone even trying stop don't right. this is stupid they already peaked and then stella was amazing so i was very excited well we'll we'll have a david wayne thing someday but right now though see we're getting better at this people <laughs> we're uh we're dealing with paul rudd and i could never be your woman also has stacy dash in it which is very cool to see yep. and there's kind of a meta thing with they're making a TV show. She was this movie apparently comes from her experiences working on the clueless television show and about how difficult that was. It's very uh, and she probably deserves it, but it's definitely one of those like uh, let me give myself a little pat on the back. Self-congratulatory movies with Michelle yep. Pfeiffer doing her hair exactly like Amy Heckerling. Did. It, it's it's very like Woody Allen at his worst in movies, not as a person. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's not what I mean. At his most self-indulgent are the worst parts about I could never be your woman. Yes. But the whole thing is still has more charm than those do, I think. By, by far. You know, yeah. it's 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 a good movie. So let's talk about the last movie she ever made. 
hopefully not ever, but 2012 is the last time she has made a theatrical, well, hope to go to theatrical movie. I think this one did briefly. This is a movie which I don't have to really uh, make a lot of excuses for. I, I think it's uh, I think it's quite lovely and uh, a gigantic uh, blind spot. And that is Vamps with uh, Alicia Silverstone and Kristen Ritter, um, which I guess where I was saying with the music, I mean, I can never be your woman. It's got some really weird needle drops. Uh, Vamp starts with a person being like, I would really love the band Green Day. And then later, the guy that Christian Ritter's seducing, I I, t- I had to take pictures of it because I was like, I'm seeing this, right? The posters he has in his room <laughs> are for like six organs of admittance and like espers. It's like, what is this guy on some like psych folk, like Devendra Banhart shit? What the fuck is this? <laughs> Like, that's why that's why shit like that is why i think there's a version of loser out there maybe they're listening to neo acid folk yeah like, <laughs> they're fucking tripping out to elephant six records i i just i was like all right well that's kind of cool um, also wallace sean is back which is nice and the hecker the heckerling verse one of the best jokes of an amy uh heckerling movie is the joke with him and Kristen Ritter at the <laughs> table so where good. he knows that she's a vampire and he's like what are your intentions with my son she's like, are you trying to just suck him to death and she's like well not any more than any other girlfriend he's had <laughs> great line um, um, shit, maybe, maybe I should maybe damn do it, never mind keep going we can talk about you, sh- you should revisit vamps if it's been a minute no, 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 I was thinking maybe I should put it play it uh, you should put that clip. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Put yeah. that clip in. Yeah. yeah, that clip will be in there. I sent that to Rosemary, and they were like, I have to see this movie now. Oh, they haven't seen it? They'd love it. No, no, no. This is. And this I, wonder is if, I wonder if that. I wonder if Jamie is there. We'll have to. Maybe we'll have a Vamps night. We should have a Vamps night. I don't think a lot of people saw Vamps. It's uh, it's unfortunate. It, it uh, had a very limited theatrical release. Um, Let's trick. We'll put on the website that we're showing Vamp with Grace Jones. And when they get there, and don't get me wrong, I love that movie. Sure. Faults aside, I love that movie. But this one's better. It's better. <laughs> and also, this is a couple years before that douchebag made the What what We Like to Do in the Shadows. Uh, hey, that's a great show and movie. That's so, right. you know it is. I know you don't want it to be, but it's good. No. Yes. Know. Yes, it is. So uh I've actually never seen it. I've only seen it. No, you would you would you you would like it, you wouldn't want to, but you'd like it more than you think you would. Well, sorry folks. Amy got there first. She made I'm pretty sure they make these all these same jokes on that show. Because oh, the yeah. movie is about two girls uh who live in New York and they're vampires. So Obviously, there's a lot of jokes that you could probably figure out come with it, but it, it's smarter than that. And it, it also deals with the idea of like aging and Alicia Silverstone's image in Clueless. There's a Amy really finds that meta thing to dial into that's not making Michelle Pfeiffer literally look like her and be her. It's it's a smarter movie that is honestly very funny. It's yeah. 
I it's, more of it lands than ever should. It holds up. I tried it again the other night and I was like, all right, <laughs> it's been rough revisiting some of these, but vamps just wiped that all away. Yeah. Um, there's, you got Malcolm McDowell, you've got uh, Sigourney Weaver in probably the only problematic scene where she kills the inhabitants of a Chinese restaurant, but I don't know. Like, we'll, we'll Amy, let... Amy, Amy likes her, her old school jokes. We could call them. She does. Yes. There's a, they were asking for a joke. Uh, yep. Yes, there is. But Hey, also, I mean, it also has the hottest man that exists, which is Gael Garcia Bernal in a great little, little very, moment. Little moment on the, yeah. <laughs> um, it's very funny. Again, you're like, why is this movie so funny it doesn't yeah, i honestly forgot it you yeah. wouldn't think it would be this good it doesn't but, it's, again it doesn't need to be yeah yeah i think this is amy this feels the most amy since clueless because yeah. more than i i know i could never be your woman this is like she's back this yeah. shows what she can do if you probably just leave her alone and yeah. well what was that, the what was the budget on this let's see the budget was it's probably i mean i don't know let's see i assume it's tiny i bet it was like 12 it's god damn it's that box. much well i guess just to pay maybe less it's box people. office was three thousand three hundred and sixty one dollars that that makes sense i don't think it played probably for more than a few days at like a few theaters yeah uh, it had a weird uh, distribution through Anchor Bay, which is. Oh, I forgot they were doing theatrical yeah. shit for a while. It's yeah. also to be noted always when a PG-13 movie is this good. Yeah. Because that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. You got. Yeah. The, the, the funniest thing is uh, Richard Lewis, when they de-age him to look like he's a he's someone in the 60s. Oh, man. Uh, I'll send you. I had to take lots of pictures of that because that is goofy as hell. And honestly, you all can shut up about the Irishman effects. If you want to see how they used to do it, take a look at uh, Richard Lewis when they make him look like he's a protesting student at Berkeley in the 60s. It's awesome. It's pretty funny. I hope it's, I hope it's as uh, it's as genius as in the uh, Saw series when they just turn Tobin Bell's hat around <laughs> and, put, and put a sweater on him to de-age him. <laughs> hey, when when all else fails, you know. Um, you also know your audience. And this movie is funny, and it also has a dark undercurrent. I mean, like the like there's real violence that happens in this movie. I mean, the funniest is what happens to the. Uh, a little callback role to Taylor Negron's uh, great character actor. If you you'll know him if you look him up, but he was the pizza guy in Fast Times at Ridgemont High who gives the pizza to Spicoli. Uh, he's back as a pizza man and <laughs> doesn't have as good of a fate this time. But it's just a nice little welcome. Oh. Oh, look, look at that. There he is. Yeah. Um, Anyway, well, we decided I, we're swapping out Clueless. We'll be showing Vamps tomorrow. <laughs> maybe we could figure out something for Vamps for a double feature for an October potentially. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk. We'll talk. We'll talk about Vamp. Anyway, I guess we should come to the come to the show. <laughs> yeah, I guess come to the show. I think we've uh, we just really like we really just warm warmly 
loved about both these people. You can, <laughs> we're serious about this shit. Come hang out. And, yeah. uh, these two are, these two are, you know, different ways, different amounts, different opportunities, different outputs. Both these people fucking rock. That's what we're saying. Ackerman's awesome. Heckling's awesome. Let's watch some movies. <laughs> Let's watch some movies. All right. Well, we'll we'll catch you in the in the lounge. And uh yes. <laughs> all right. We'll uh we'll see you all later. Bye, friends. <laughs>